We are, in the, we are in the middle of a study. I wouldn't say in the middle anymore, but we are towards the end of our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we've got two more weeks after this week. And the book of Ecclesiastes is a strange book. Um, it's strange because on the surface, things can seem rather pessimistic. As we read through this book, we, there are moments where it seems rather negative, rather pessimistic, hopeless about life. I mean, Solomon says, life is meaningless. He says it over and over and over again. But the more we read, the more we dig, as we've seen, the more we listen to the words of Solomon, who I believe is the author of this book, we realize that it's not that Solomon's pessimistic about life, it's that he's a realist. And see, Solomon is a man who has experienced every pleasure, he's experienced every accomplishment that one can experience in a lifetime. Um, But here he is at the end of his life, in his old age, he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes. He's looking back on all the years, and he says, look, none of these things that I experienced, none of them really, really provided the fullness or the lasting satisfaction to my life that I thought they would offer. So wealth, sexuality, money, power, influence, success, all those things, they were good, they were great for a moment, but they never gave me, they never quenched that longing in my soul for transcendence and for full significance and meaning. And this is what he says, he says, he's looking back on his life and he said, all those things, they were good for a moment, but they didn't last forever. And when I look back, I go, oh, they didn't give me meaning that I craved. And the thing that's so beautiful about the book of Ecclesiastes is just how honest it is about life. See, Solomon says, if you're, what he's essentially the thesis of Ecclesiastes is that if you are pursuing work as the core um, sort of pathway for satisfaction in your life, Solomon says you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it in your work. If you're pursuing relationships for the core pathway for how you're going to find transcendence and meaning, he says relationships are good, they're great, but you're not going to find meaning and full lasting meaning and transcendence in the way that you crave. Sexuality, power, money, all of those things, it's not going to work. And this morning in chapter 9, where we're going to be, he's going to continue. And this is difficult honesty for us because most of us don't believe it. We think, yeah, Solomon says that, but if I just got whatever it is that you want, you say, if I just got that, I would be happy. But as we've seen throughout this series, you've got people like Tom Brady who have four or five Super Bowl rings, but yet they can look at a camera and say, why is it that I have all these rings, then a supermodel wife and a $20 million contract, but yet I still think there's got to be something more out there for me? And the reporter says, what do you think it is? He says, my God, I wish I knew. You have, I mean, celebrities like Jim Carrey, who say, I wish everyone could become rich and famous so that they could know that that's not the answer for life's greatest desires. See, so we, it's not just Solomon saying this, it's people all throughout history that are saying this, and we go, oh, that's so honest, but some of us, we just don't believe it. But the book of Ecclesiastes beckons us to listen to those wise people who've gone before us and told us where meaning can be found. And today in chapter 9, Solomon's going to continue the brutal honesty. And he's going to address... Um, the thing that makes life on this earth so scary for us. And that is the unpredictability of it all. Why do bad things happen? Why are, how do we live in a world full of injustices? See, this morning we're going to study chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 7 and go all the way through the end of the chapter. But we're also going to keep our eyes on chapter 11 as well, because it has some things that I think will reinforce what he's saying here. But here's the thing. Most of you have probably been asked before, do you want the good news first or the bad news first, right? I'm going to give you the bad news first, okay? 
So we're going to go a little bit out of order in chapter 9 because I want to give you the bad news first so I can lift you up with the good news on your way out. And so we're going to begin verse 11, chapter 9. And I want you to see that Solomon's talking about the random injustices and the unpredictabilities of life. Look what he says, verse 11. He says, Again, I saw that under the sun the race does not go to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance... Happen to us all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So the first little observation that Solomon gives us this morning is that life is unpredictable. I mean, if you just read just this morning, I, you know, I check the news on Twitter. That's how I get my news. Um, I'm a millennial. You know, we get it, you know, constant updates, 24-hour news cycle. And, you know, I follow Al Jazeera, although Al Jazeera English got shut down, which is such a bummer. Um, but I follow Al Jazeera, USA Today, New York Times. And just today, these were the headlines this morning. Fort Hood soldiers killed in training accident. Hundreds are forced to evacuate their homes amid California brush fires. A hundred bodies wash up on Libyan beach. Surfer loses his leg in great white shark attack. And you're like, all these unpredictable, unpredictable injustices of life. And then, because Facebook trending on the right side of your Facebook page wants to throw in this winter among all the tragedies of the world, that they, Facebook thinks that we care that Mariah Carey does interview from inside bathtub on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Which just shows our culture how we can have a news cycle with all these tragedies and just laugh and, and then throw something that insignificant right in there with it. Fort Hood soldiers killed in training accident, people having to evacuate their homes because of brush fires, bodies washed up on a beach, surfer being attacked by a shark. And what Solomon is trying to say, he says, it doesn't matter who you are, good or bad. It doesn't matter how you live or who your parents are. Unpredictable and tragic things can happen to you. You can go swimming and get attacked by a shark surfing and attacked by a shark. You can show up, you can be um, uh, in the U.S. military and show up for work one day and have a freak training accident in your life. You can get on a bus and there's a terrorist that blows a bus. And there are all these things that happen. The weather can destroy your home. All these unpredictable, tragic things in your life. It doesn't matter who you are. Unpredictable, random circumstances do not discriminate based on who you are and what you've accomplished in your life. Horrible things happen all the time and they can happen to anybody and they can happen suddenly and you cannot avoid the unpredictability of life because you can't know when it's going to happen. See, he, Solomon says the race doesn't go to the swift and he says you may be swift, you may be fast, but you may still lose some races. Is anybody a fan of the Olympics in here? I, I, I love the Olympics. So I was a track runner in college and I've got friends that are going to be competing in the Olympics this year. This is their last time because I'm starting to get old. And so my friends, this is their, their, this is their last shot at Rio. Um, I'm a summer Olympic kind of guy. Um, but I remember watching the Winter Olympics uh, back in 2002 when the Olympics were in Salt Lake City. And I'm not a huge fan of the Winter Olympics, but I do like short track speed skating. And in 2002, that was when Apollo Anton Ono was kind of the big, you know, he was the hot thing of the, uh, th that Olympics. And he was trying to win, I think, like five or six medals. And I got super into short track speed skating during those Olympics because it's kind of like roller derby that gets Olympic medals, but it's like people on a, like a small track, like knocking people over. It's awesome. But there was this race, the 1,000 meters in the 2002 Olympics, and there was a man named Stephen Bradbury. 
Stephen Bradbury was an Australian uh, short track speed skater, and he was kind of past his prime. He was older, and this was kind of his last go-round at the Olympics. He was, I mean, he even in interviews just said, hey, I'm just trying to make my, a final Olympic team before I retire. And he gets in, you've got three heats to before you make the finals in this particular event, and in the first heat, um, he doesn't qualify for the next round. He finishes one spot out of qualifying. And so he's disappointed, he's dejected. He goes into the locker room thinking that his Olympics are over. But then he finds out through like, I mean, there was like a technical thing and somebody in front of him got disqualified and so he's gonna make it to the semifinals. And he's like, okay, this is great. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna advance to the next round. Then he gets in the semifinals. He was in last place going into the last lap, but then the, and the top four, uh, the top three in the race would uh, move into, or the top two in the race would move on to the finals. Well, here he was. He was in third place going in the last turn, and the guy who was in second just kind of tripped up and slid in, off the ice, and he finishes second, advances into the finals. And so here we are in the finals. It's the five, it's the four best short track speed skaters in the world and Stephen Bradbury, a guy who got in on a technical disqualification and who bar and only got into the finals because somebody tripped and fell in the second round. Here he is, Apollo Ono, all these hot shots, and then Stephen Bradbury. He does not deserve to be there. The four best athletes in the world and him. And they take off, the gun goes off, and they're racing. It's a 10-lap race. And the top four guys, including Apollo Ono, you know, Subway commercials, He's in front, I mean, the, the four guys are packed tight, and they're, I mean, it's a race. I'll, ne I'll never forget watching this. I was watching my dad in the living room. And they go, they're, I mean, it's this tight race, and Stephen Bradbury's getting beat so bad, he's not even in the screen. He's getting beat so bad, but he's just happy to be there. You know, he made the finals, whatever. Well, then the unthinkable happens. In the last turn, you've got four guys duking it out for three medal spots, and one guy clips Ono's skates. Ono goes down. And brings all four, all, every one of them with him. They all go flying, sliding across the ice. Stephen Bradbury was so far behind that he had time to navigate the chaos. And he crosses the finish line, Olympic gold medalist. It was, it was unbelievable. And listen, and in that particular moment, the race did not go to the swift. It went to the guy that was so old and so slow and only got into the finals because of a technicality, didn't even deserve to make it past the first round, and he walks away on the top of the podium with a gold medal. The race doesn't always go to the swift. And see, what Solomon's trying to say, and that's funny, but what he's trying to say is that you can follow all the right steps, the right formula, you can do all the right things, but life can still happen to you. You can exercise every day and eat a balanced diet, but you can still find out that your blood cells and your body are rapidly multiplying too quickly and you have cancer. Or you can do all the things during your pregnancy right. You can, you know, play classical music on your belly and you can, you know, have a home birth with a doula and you can do it all right and you can eat organic the whole time, but that may not stop you from giving birth to a child with a disability. And that may seem morbid to you, but Solomon, he's observing that, look, life is unpredictable. See, Solomon's telling us about life the way it is. And he's saying, look, you have very little control over the events of your life. And Solomon tells us that if we want to experience the good life, we will have to come to grips with this reality. We'll have to learn to embrace the unpredictability of it all. And in, a, in chapter 11, he says, if the clouds are full of rain, this is chapter 11, verse 3, he says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. 
And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it lies. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And what he's saying here is that most of us, we stress about situations we have no control over. We see unpredictability as our greatest enemy because, listen, this is where all of our worry, all of our stress, all of our anxiety comes from. How many of you lie awake at night and get anxious over things that may or may not happen? You start running hypotheticals through your mind about what if this happens and then that would cause this to happen and then that would cause this to happen and that would cause this to happen and then I would never get married. I'll be single all my life and I, you know, we do that. Or if I, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, I'm probably going to get fired from my job tomorrow and you're afraid to go into work all because you stayed up too late and you didn't just go to sleep because you let your mind go crazy. We run these endless hypotheticals through our mind that probably won't happen and we get anxious over them. See, most of our anxiety is experienced when we think about things that we can't control. And it kills us. And Solomon says it doesn't do you any good. Life is unpredictable. You've got to learn how to exist within the unpredictability of it all. And Solomon says in this passage that it's complete futility to worry about what will happen or why it will happen. This is what he says. He says, you can study the weather, but you can't make it rain. And you can worry about which direction a tree is going to fall, but in the end, it falls. And where it falls, that's where it is. See, the farmer, this is, I mean, when he talks about the wind, will not, the far, he who observes the wind will not sow. He says that if the farmer spends all their time worrying about what the weather's going to be like tomorrow, they'll never plant their seeds today. And listen, I used to have a track coach who used to accuse me of what's called analysis paralysis. He would say, Will, you worry about the next race and you worry about the next practice. He's like, just, he's like, you're paralyzing yourself. And some of us, we can analyze the future and what could happen tomorrow so much that we're paralyzed to live life today. And Solomon says, don't do that. Solomon says, look at the way the world works. Realize the futility of your worry. You've got to learn to develop an ability to trust God and believe that he's doing good, even in the random circumstances of your life. But now, he says, life is unpredictable. Let's shift to some good news. I told you I'd give you the bad news first. Good news. Solomon says, go, verse 7, chapter 9. Go, eat bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life. And in your toil which you toil under the sun. And Solomon says, life is beautiful. Enjoy it. Find joy where you can. And it's easy for us sometimes to dismiss Solomon as this like crotchety old, mean old man who's pessimistic about life all the time. He's a cynic. He's skeptical. But that really couldn't be further from the truth. He's realistic about life. And he's well acquainted with the futility of life. But he also sees that not only are there evil and injustices in the world, there's also all this deep and profound beauty. And he encourages us to stop and to soak in the moments of beauty that life has to offer. Look at what he says in chapter 11, verse 7. He says, Light, a sunny day is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Solomon says, life is beautiful. Enjoy it. And if all we do is dwell on the unpredictability of life, we will miss the beautiful moments in front of us. Tim Chaddock 
He's a pastor in London. Uh, He wrote a book on Ecclesiastes called Better, and he said, We spend so much time of our lives anchored to anxiety and selfishness that we often miss the pleasure offered to us by life's simplest things. And when I was in college, I took a sociology class. It was one of those classes you just have to take. It's like a core class you got to take just to get a degree. I was like, all right. I was an athlete, and so all the other athletes were doing it. I was like, sweet, this will be easy. Let's do this. And uh, I go into my sociology class just hoping to make the grade and go on with my life. Well, I found out it ended up being one of my favorite classes. And one of the things, you know, in sociology professors, they kind of use their students as like guinea pigs. They do like research experiments on them. And what our sociology professor had us do at the beginning of the year was he said, every week I want you to turn in a journal. And I want you to put, I just want you to put 12 things. I want you to do a top eight, bottom four. And I want you to give me, at the end of every week, I want you to give me a list of the top eight things that happened in your life this week and the bottom four things that happened in your life this week. And so he said, look, when I say top eight, he says, I want you to write anything that gives you, he called it a moment of happiness. He said, so if you go through the drive-thru and, you know, I went, you know, in the suburbs or whatever. So, um, but if you go eat somewhere and uh, if you go have dinner and it's just a good dinner, you're like, those French fries were so good. Like you write like French fries from five guys or whatever. You just write that in your top eight. Or you're like, you know, you're walking down, uh, you're on like West 4th Street coming home from work or whatever. And there's a beautiful performer down in the subway station. Like that, the, the, I saw a woman at Columbus Circle this week who was hula hooping and playing the violin at the same time. That makes my top eight. That's awesome. <laughs> Like, that's cool. And then there's like the dude with his ear, like his headphones in his ears, who's not really actually performing, but you're like, he's actually pretty good, singing pretty loud on the train. Like, not bad. That makes your top eight. Any like good moment of happiness makes your top eight. And bottom four is anything that irritates you. The R train every week, just like it's a staple (laughs) on the bottom four. The R train, it's terrible. Um, But there's always the D train, which kind of helps us out. If you can just get to 36, things aren't that bad. But you write little things in the bottom four. And so what we did in this class is the first couple of weeks, I remember being able to write bottom four so easy because we're hardwired to see the frustrations of our life. Ugh, my roommate, this, ah. You know, class went too long, ugh, this. My team lost the football game, whatever. And I had a hard time finding eight things to write on my, jo- on my top eight. But as the semester went on, it was crazy and all my classmates felt the same thing. We found ourselves con- like living our lives like hyper aware of moments of happiness. And so something cool would happen. And we're like, that was awesome. I'm going to file that away in my journal to put in my top eight. And at the, end of the, at the end of the semester, I would have like in my little moleskin that I would write in, I would have 20 to 30 things. And I would spend an hour trying to narrow down what goes in my top eight. And I would be, I was so hyper aware of the moments of joy that would happen in my life that by the end of the semester, I had difficult time writing bottom four. And my sociology professor ended up publishing an article about this because all the classmates kind of felt the thing. When you fix yourselves on the moments of God, the gifts of God that God, the moments of joy that God gives you, you can actually hardwire yourself to be grateful and to be thankful. And so Solomon says, enjoy the moments that you have. Life is unpredictable. It's hard. But learn to be grateful for the good moments that he gives you. And I talk about this a lot, but it's just who I am and it's part of my life. But one of the most difficult things in my life is the fact that um, I'm trying to learn how to deal with the reality of having a son who has a severe disability. My son, my four and a half year old son has cerebral palsy. And it's hard because it affects every aspect of our lives. It affects the school he goes to. And when we want to go out and walk around the neighborhood, it's a little bit more of a Um, event than it is for a normal family, I suppose. And it's just hard. 
And it's easy for me sometimes to become so consumed with the unpredictability of the future of what it looks like raising a special needs son in New York City or just raising a special needs son in general. And I I do get caught up and I have these moments of anxiety about what that's going to look like. And I'm like, what is the world going to be like for my son? What's going to happen when I'm gone? Like, what what level of independence is he going to have? And there's all this like heartache that comes with raising this boy because we love him so much. And there's all these moments where I experience deep anxiety, but on Friday of this week, we got my wife and my wife got a text message from his school teacher. And his therapist had sent us a video. It was a 34-second video. And my four and a half-year-old son, who we've been praying since January, we've been praying that he would walk by Christmas. We got a 34-second video of our four and a half-year-old taking his first steps. Yeah. And in that moment, listen, that doesn't erase all the fears for the future. We still have a special needs son. I mean, his special needs didn't go away. And he's, he's walking. It's not like he's running around the track yet. He's high knee in it. He laughs so hard that he, gets, he loses his balance while he's walking. There's still so much that's unpredictable about his future. But on Friday, when we got that text message, what God wanted from us is not to worry about the unpredictable future, but to enjoy that moment of joy that he was giving us. And listen, I don't know what situations you're walking through, what unpredictable seasons of life you're in, but be aware of the little moments that God gives you to find joy, even in the midst of the pain, because they're there. They're there. And what he said, what Solomon tells us is that life is full of unpredictable tragedies and trials and pain, but life is also full of these incredible moments of profound beauty and joy. And don't look past them. Learn to see them. So Solomon says life is unpredictable, but it's also very beautiful. And yes, you've got to admit that life is unpredictable, but you've got to learn to see the beauty of it all. And the last thing that he tells us in chapter 9 is he's going to say that wisdom is better than might. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, I've seen this example of wisdom under the sun. He's telling a story of something he saw. This is such a cool passage. He says, I I saw this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was this little city, and there were a few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But in the city, there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The word of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Let me repeat that. The words of the wise in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom is better than might. I was going to call this sermon point, wisdom trumps everything but I didn't want to put those two words in the same sentence. I'm playing. It's election season, baby. Wisdom is better than might. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is the autobiography of a man who had it all. Solomon experienced wealth, sexuality, power, pleasure, unlike any of us have ever experienced it. And of everything he experienced under the sun, he says the best thing that we can cultivate on this earth is wisdom. To be a wise person. He learned from your mistakes. Be humble enough to listen to those who've gone before you. Learn from their mistakes. Study history. 
And he says that while human wisdom cannot protect you from freak accidents and tough circumstances, wisdom can protect you from making poor decisions in your own life. And it can help you prepare for the tragedies of life, the unpredictable tragedies. And in this passage and in this book, Solomon talks about a human type of wisdom. And he's talking about what it, how to live a wise life. And that's good, but that's wisdom under the sun. But now, he's kind of pointing us to wisdom that's beyond the sun. To a greater wisdom, to a God-like wisdom. Because he tells us about something that amazed him. That stuck with him. He said, I've seen this. He said, I saw this example of wisdom under the sun. And it seemed great to me. And when he says it seemed great to me, um, that's a pretty uh, understated word for what it actually says in the Greek. I mean, it's like, it stopped him in his tracks. He never forgot it. He says, I saw this example of wisdom that impressed me so much that I never forgot about it. And the scriptures tell us that Solomon, of course, was very wise. But here Solomon says, I saw a man who demonstrated wisdom so much in such a way that it was unforgettable even to Solomon. And Solomon says, it was a kind of wisdom beyond any kind of wisdom I ever knew. And the story he tells is that there was a little city. There was this tiny little town and this great big kingdom comes against it and attacks them. And he doesn't give all the details, and some scholars have tried to explain what exact historical event Solomon's talking about, but the truth is we aren't really sure. But here's what we do know. We know that there's this little small town in this big city, this big army comes and attacks them. And everybody's going, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? But there's this one man in the town. We don't know his name. We don't even know what he did. He does something very wise, this very wise move of leadership. He manages to protect the whole city from the attack. And the scriptures tell us that the city was delivered and the poor wise man was forgotten. That's all we know. And Solomon saw this where he's like, I saw this poor man devise a plan that would protect this little town from being taken over and it worked and people were saved. But nobody remembered him. See, here's the story of a man who humbly served and saved his people, yet he was forgotten and in some cases despised and ignored. And Solomon saw this happen before his eyes, and it moved him. And it moved him so much that he never forgot it. And the question we ask is, why did this move him so much? And I think it moved him because there's this story that's written on our hearts. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that eternity was, is, is fixed in our hearts. And I think that what he's saying is that the, the, the story of the gospel is so embedded deep in our soul that we long for it so much that we're moved by it when we see it happen, even if we don't know that's what's happening. And Solomon's story and the impact it had on him reveals just how much God has placed a desire within us to know Jesus Christ. See, Philip Graham Ryken, who's a scholar, he compares the man in Solomon's story to Jesus. He says this, He says, Jesus was as poor as anyone. He was homeless and destitute, just like the man in this story. And he was totally dependent on God the Father for his daily bread. Jesus was also wiser than anyone. As we know from all the wise things he said, by his wisdom, Jesus delivered the lost city of fallen humanity. The devil was coming against the city with all the powers of hell, but Jesus delivered us all by himself. How did he do it? He did it through something that seemed foolish at the time, but actually turned out to be wise for salvation. Jesus saved our city by dying on the cross and then rising again. And Solomon says that one of the things that he just couldn't believe about this story was that the man in the story was forgotten. How could people forget about a poor wise man who saved them from destruction? And just think what Solomon would say to us if he were here with us today, knowing what we know about Jesus. He would say, don't forget Jesus. 
Many despise him and many look down on him as poor and lowly, but do not forget what Jesus has done for you. You are a small city and you were being attacked by the powers of hell, but Jesus stood in your way and took on all the punishment that you deserve. He took on what was coming your way and he defeated the greatest enemy that you could go up against. And Psalmist says, don't forget what Jesus has done. His life, his death, his resurrection has made a way for you to know God and to experience God. Furthermore, Jesus has promised that he will one day come again to redeem and renew all things. Points us to a day where there will no longer be unpredictable things that, tra- that tragically come up in our lives. There will be a day when all of our moments will be fi- filled with predictable joy and beauty. And we won't have to squint to see the beauty that's before us like we sometimes do today. We won't have to fight for joy in difficult circumstances because everything one day when Jesus comes and renews all things, everything will be as it should be and life will be fully beautiful. See, this future is made possible by Jesus who in his wisdom and in his poverty made a way for us to be reconciled back to God. He endured all the tragedies of life so that not only could we have moments of joy and beauty, but we could have an eternal life filled with them. And Solomon says, or points us to the fact that this is a wisdom that's better than any wisdom under the sun. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the Apostle Paul says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the truest wisdom. And the cross may seem like foolishness, but the gospel tells us that the cross of Jesus is God's wisdom fully on display. And Solomon says, do not forget that wisdom. Do not forget the poor and lowly man who hung on a cross for you. And if the unpredictability of life has you living in fear today, and you're wondering if joy is even possible, look at Jesus. Because he experienced the death that he experienced the death that he did not deserve. Pain and sorrow that he did not deserve. And whatever pain you feel today, he's felt it. But in all that pain, the tragedies of life, that's what nailed him to a cross. But death did not defeat him. He rose from a grave and he promises that all who will follow him will experience life and joy. And we may hurt and we may die and we may feel pain and we may have unpredictable days here under the sun. But beyond the sun, there is a life waiting for us where all things will be made new and joy will be restored. And the invitation to that eternity is to simply believe the good news of Jesus, that he's made a way for us. Let's pray.